0: All right, it's time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Good morning, Vaughn.
1: Good morning, Simi.
0: I have to say, this one kind of caught me off guard. I didn't realize they were considering adding new areas for the speculation tax.
1: Well, the government looks for a new target to blame every day for the lack of progress on housing affordability. And uh, yeah, yesterday's announcement came as a bit of a surprise. They've added 13 communities to the speculation and vacancy tax, so you got a second place there, you have to rent it out for half the year, or you have to pay the tax. Uh, A bit of a tweak in the strategy on the tax. When it was first announced by Carol James way back in 2018, she made it pretty clear that they weren't going after necessarily like recreational properties and communities that are tourist-dependent and recreation-dependent. Right, but it was I remember really that. Aimed at, it was aimed at people that have, you know, a second place in Vancouver and they live in Victoria or they've got, you know, a backup place in one of the big cities. And they made a point of leaving some of the major resort recreational communities out of the list. So yesterday, however, we get – yeah, the list is not. We're, we've moved well beyond urban British Columbia. So where you got Courtney Comats, Cumberland, Parksville, Qualicum Beach, uh, and in the Okanagan, Vernon, Coldstream Kamloops. Well, Kamloops isn't in the Okanagan, but anyway, uh, Lake Country, Peachland, Summerland, and Salmon Arm. So those are places where you know if you ha- if people have a second place there, it's more about family vacations and holidays and less about having a second place to to make money. But minister got asked about this, Katrina Conroy, uh, the finance minister, Simi got asked about this yesterday and what kind of support does she have? And initially she said, well, you know, we consulted with the communities. We didn't just, you know, throw these willy nilly do this. and, uh, And there was support. And a couple of my colleagues in the press conference said, you sure about that? And she said, well, I'll double-check and get back to you. (laughs) This is clearly a really well-thought-through thing. Yeah, Ministers were very well-briefed. Well, it turns out, of course, that uh, you got people coming forward saying they weren't consulted. The mayor of Penticton was out within the hour saying, we weren't consulted in Penticton. And while we support the idea of more affordable housing, this is going to have an impact on our community, Simi, because, of course, Penticton is one of the big places in british columbia for recreational property and they weren't consulted uh parksville said they weren't consulted and by the time you know that the hour was out uh the minister's claim that he had she had you know consulted on this and had had secured support for it was somewhat frayed
0: this seems like such a a really basic mistake to make like to say that communities were consulted when they weren't consulted, wouldn't that be a baseline for doing something like this? Like, wouldn't you at You'd... least pick up the phone and call the mayors and say, by the way, this is coming your way?
1: Well, not long after the press release from the mayor of Penticton saying he wasn't consulted, we got a press release from the New Democrats that explained the real reason for doing this. They put out a press release saying uh, B.C. United would get rid of the speculation and vacancy tax. They're opposed to it. Simi, this is about polarizing the electorate, uh, pointing fingers at uh, people that, you know, you got a second property. You're not going to have a huge amount of support from the public that's worried about housing affordability. Uh, polarizing the electorate, pointing fingers at B.C. United. And by the way, if some communities are collateral damage in that, well, so be it. The the government is in re-election mode. And frankly, Simi, I don't think it much cares.
0: Um, They just did to these communities exactly what the federal liberal government did to them a couple of weeks ago. Uh,
1: Yes, that's... (laughs) Well, you know, what are the limits on hypocrisy? Can can you really be too cynical in the business we're in, Simi?
0: I guess not, but I thought, boy, that just changes how I look at that from a couple of weeks ago. They just did it completely to a bunch of mayors.
1: Yeah, well, you had the, you know, the ombudsman on uh, this week. Jay Chalk put out his report and he said, you know, the government didn't really... Uh, let people know that it did change the rules on the uh, COVID assistance package. And uh, and uh, he said, you know, he finds it ironic that the provincial government is complaining about the federal government and its handling of this, and the provincial government is doing the same thing. So, oh, man. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> tough doing your what job What would we talk about what? if it weren't for government hypocrisy?
0: I guess so. This one is just seems so... Um, outrageous. It wouldn't have cost them anything, maybe a day to get a hold of some of these mayors. And just so you could say that you consulted them. But who lets the minister or why does the minister go out there without at least double checking that?
1: Well, you know, if we could get our hands on the uh, internal emails in the government on this and how they put together the schedule for announcements, we might discover why this was announced yesterday as opposed to some other day. Basically, the new Democrats are on an announcement a day mode around their housing action plan, and a lot of what they're announcing isn't going to happen right away. the 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 effect of all of this, even if it works, uh, won't necessarily play out between now and the election. They'll still be able to talk about it and be able to polarize the electorate around it. And the other thing to note about the speculation and vacancy taxes. Whatever you think of it as a strategy, it has proven to be a pretty good cash cow for the government. It's Mm. raised hundreds of millions of dollars because, you know, some people out there go, all right, fine, I'm just going to pay it. I'm not renting my place out. The other thing the minister said yesterday, Simi, which, you know, may be of interest to people in this position, is she said there may be exemptions for people who have recreational places that aren't really suitable for renting out the year round, cabins, uninsulated properties, uh, that sort of thing. She didn't really say how that would work, but she did suggest there may be something in the works down the road before this is incorporated in the next budget in February um, that would allow you to plead for an exemption because your place isn't really suitable for renting out all year because nobody would rent it. And so it would be unfair to tax you when there is no market for that place.
0: Right. But just the hypocrisy is astounding on this one. All right. We are back talking with Von Palmer this morning and we have a BC Ferries update for you, Von.
1: Yes, Simi, it's been a bad year on the major routes on BC ferries. Uh, A lot of cancellations, vessels out of service, no backup vessels. And so the Ferry Corporation has announced this week they are looking for expressions of interest for building six new ferries for the major routes. These would be big ships, 2,000 passenger capacity, so same scale as the Spirit class, and they uh, are going to, when they get their expressions of interest, they're going to try to award tenders for construction by next summer. Uh, all cause for celebration there, Simi. Oh, these would be hybrids too. They're, they're not uh, just diesel, they're diesel battery. So definitely Ferry Corporation looking to the future. However, the listener who is planning on taking the ferries in the next little while shouldn't get too excited Simi, if all goes well, and when has it ever not all gone well at BC Ferries? That's
0: a big if, yeah.
1: (laughs) The first of these six ships will be in service in six years, 2029, and number six would be in service 2032. So it's a 10-year plan to build six ships and a number of hurdles that still have to be cleared before we get to actual delivery of the ship.
0: It's interesting about where this call is going out to. It's like shipyards everywhere
1: yeah you know you go back to the ndp and opposition and their line was always you know uh, you should be building the ships in british columbia because it creates jobs and economic activity here and why should we be sending our money overseas or out of the country uh, this call is to shipyards all over the world and so it's uh, roughly what the happened under the bc liberals you'll I'm guessing, get bids, as has happened in the past. Uh, What, we had Poland building ships, Romania building ships, the Germans building ships. Uh, There are, uh, the Finns sometimes get interested in this as well. And I see one comment from the industry to the Victoria Times columnist, someone in the industry saying they think the overseas yards will get the contracts because they can just build the ships more cheaply. If you build here in B.C., and this is what used to be said under the B.C. liberals, you build here in B.C., you get fewer ships for more money. Um, so I think, you know, we, we don't know yet what conditions they, they do if, uh, if, for example, a foreign yard were to make a partnership with a B.C. yard or a B.C. yard would come close in the bidding. Uh, you might see one of the ships built here, but the way things are going these days I think the government's already dropped a few hints that yeah, they kind of expect that these ships will be built overseas.
0: Hmm, interesting. And then that that's the, it's the availability really, right? And that yeah. everybody's in that same boat.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we do build some ships in Canada here, heavily subsidized. Uh you can look to Washington State. I was just there, you know, and I noticed a story in the Seattle paper saying that, I don't know, almost a third of the Washington State ferry fleet is out of service. The fleet is antiquated. And in Washington State, you have to build new ships in Washington State. And it's very expensive because, you know, if your yard builds ships all the time for customers around the world, you end up being fairly efficient. Uh, You can bid competitively. Uh, You're modern and updated. And while British Columbia shipyards do do a lot of work on ships here, uh, so far they've not been able to compete on price with the foreign yards that, as I say, are just more competitive and more efficient.
0: Right. And also on a note, as we head into an election year coming up in 2024, we're starting to hear from some politicians who aren't going to
1: run again. Yeah, and there was a sad announcement in the House yesterday. You may remember that a year ago this time, Katrina Chen, who was the cabinet minister for child care, announced that she had asked Premier Eby to leave her out of his cabinet. She said she was dealing with a history, personal one, of gender-based violence. She wanted to spend more time with her son, and therefore she'd asked to be left out of cabinet. Um, Sad story. Uh, she asked for privacy. So, you know, the details have not been shared publicly, but I think most a number of news organizations have had a, a personal briefing on confidential basis on the struggle that Chen faced. Uh, yesterday, private member statements in the house. She started off by saying uh, farewell to her colleagues. She's been working from home. So she did this on the Zoom hookup and she's not running again. She thanked the premier's office for the support. She said she'd been able to make very good use of the year uh, to seek professional help for her own trauma, spend much more time with her son. Uh, she was looking forward to the next step in her life, but she wasn't running again. Outpouring of support in the House. As a general recognition, Simi, this is a very sad story. She was an effective minister of childcare. She's very good at her job. And it's a, it's a loss to the government, a loss to public life that she's not running again, but you have to respect her for doing it. It's a big sacrifice, but, you know, she says herself, she thinks she's making the right decision, and I would be the last to argue yeah. whether uh, She knows the personal reasons better than, than I could hope to.
0: Now, she was the minister in charge of the child care file when the yeah. Horton government was really going all out in child yeah. care.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it, it, relatively inexperienced in politics, uh, and... What I was struck was every time it came up in the House and the opposition would, you know, be challenging the government. You've made great promises on child care. You haven't made much progress. She's very good at defending the government's record on the file. She clearly knew it very well. I don't think there's any question that she would be a minister in David Eby's government if she had chosen to stay with him. In fact, there was a lot of speculation that she might be promoted. Um, hmm. Child care is a minister of state, so not a full-blown ministry. That she might have been promoted, for example, to the become the minister of children and family development instead of Mitzi Dean. But right. that didn't happen. And now she's leaving the political arena and, you know, you have to wish her well. But it's, it's just a sad story to see someone have to leave for reasons that have nothing to do with her politics and her professional performance.
0: That's true. But we wish her all the best. Vaughn, thank you. Bye bye, Cindy. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does.